uh, series on First Timothy, and uh, we 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 talked about uh, hope, and we we talked about the one of the biggest enemies that we as as individuals face, not only individuals but corporately. The enemies that we face are false teaching. And, and we said in, in 1 Timothy that the, the main, the key verse there, the key verse we said was chapter 3, verse 15. But in case I am delayed, Paul says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. The reality is that, that false teaching has always been one of the primary ways that Satan will seek to deceive individuals, churches, through false teaching. There are a lot of false gospels out there, if you will. There are a lot of false teaching. And we as the, the church, we exist as a pillar and as a supporter of truth. The, the reality is that, that we believe that God's word is true. We, we believe what it says in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That the gospel is very narrow. It is a one-way road. Jesus has, Jesus has eliminated himself from all the other gods. That, that it, he is it. And, and our lives are to be uh, right responses to the gospel in all areas. That, that is what we seek. And this letter, I believe, will hope, uh, my hope is that it will help us have biblical attitudes and right responses in, in specific areas of our lives, specifically as they pertain to the gospel. Everything, everything is taken back to the gospel. And, and what... What the believers in Paul's day needed and what you and I need today was truth. They, they needed truth, not human wisdom. They needed godly wisdom. And they needed to fix their hope solely upon the gospel, not on the things of this world or these other things that, that abide for our attention. So what we said last week, we began by saying, and again, in chapter 1, verse 1, we're just looking at that first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of our God and Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. We, we looked at Hebrews 11.1 1, and it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we, we said that, that biblically we have a substance behind our hope. Our hope has substance. It's, it's rooted in the character of God. It's the character of God. And we, we showed in James 1.17 that that character doesn't change, that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that we can trust today what he told us yesterday because he doesn't change. And our hope is rooted in the certain character of God. And out of that character, promises. He's given promises. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20 and 21, For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. In, in Numbers 23, 19, it describes God and says, He is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said it, and will he not make it good? Or has he spoken, and will he not bring it forth? Every single one of God's promises can be banked on. And, and this word is the basis. Uh, it flows out of the character of God, and it is the basis of our hope. There are promises here. 
All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Romans 15, 4, we have the, 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 the scriptures, and there he would have been specifically referring to the Old Testament, but we, we have the scriptures that we would have hope. When, when we read the, the Old Testament, we see for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God never, ne- never once was He not faithful. Never once. And He's the same today. And, and we said that, that based on that, the character of God and, and based on the hope that we have in Christ, it changes not only how we view ourselves, but it, it changes what we value in it, and it changes what we pursue. All because we have a certain hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is it's the confident expectation that God will do everything that he has promised in his word. That everything in this word is true. That everything in this word will happen just as he said it would. And, and even this season, the reality, is, the reality is, is that baby Jesus in the manger was further proof that God will fulfill His promises no matter what. We can, we can bank on it because of His character. But, but I want to continue today, and I want to set the stage just on these next two points, continue to, to understand what our biblical hope is, and then next week, Lord willing, we can, we can look at the right response to that hope. Because there's a response to that hope. We don't just just nod our heads to these truths and then walk away. There's a response. And so not only as we saw last week that the biblical hope was a confident expectation that God will do everything He says He will do, but, but you see on your handout, and this is where we're not going to give you the blanks anymore. You've got to start filling them in yourself here. Biblical hope produces power in the life of a believer to live in the midst of life's struggles because of the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus. The reality is this, even though we are in Christ, even though we have hope in Christ, even though we have a confident expectation that God will do everything that He said He will do, the reality is that trouble exists. The reality is that not everything is going to go well in our lives. The reality is, is that, that even though we're in Christ, our loved ones die, our loved ones get sick. The, the, the reality is this, our hope, it's not an escapism type of hope where we, avoid, where we try to avoid trouble at all costs. It's not a hope where we, where, where we say, you know what, God promises that we'll never have trouble. That's not our hope. It's not a hope that where, as some false religions do, where they just deny the existence of evil. The reality is every single one of us here in, in today, would our lives would prove that there is evil, that sin does exist. And, and the reality is, is we all suffer. We suffer for our own sin. We suffer for other people's sin. Sometimes we suffer simply for God to be glorified through our lives. I give you John 9 with the man born blind. They, they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or did his parents sin? And Jesus said, none of them sinned. This man was born blind for this very reason that I would be glorified in him today. The, 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 the strong reality there that, that, that can be difficult to grasp is this. We don't know how old that gentleman was. 15, 20, 25, 30. The, the reality is whatever his age was, he was blind every single one of those days for one reason, for God to get glory in restoring his sight. 
The, the reality is, if, if we're honest, we can struggle with that in our own hearts. How could a good God do that? The reality is, when we understand how, glor- how, how awesome this God is and how, how, what, a, what a treasure it would have been to have been used for God's glory and to bring other men and women into the kingdom through whatever, whatever sickness, whatever it is in our lives, if God is going to use it to bring men and women to Christ, it's worth it. That's how awesome God is. That we would forsake everything for Him. Because again, He is our hope. And the hope that we have in Christ, it doesn't, it's not saying that, that evil doesn't exist. It's not denying the reality of evil. It's not denying that, that, that people don't hurt. That wasn't true in Paul's day. And it's not, it's not, it's not true in our day. We, we, the reality is, is, I was sharing this week, I stand up here and preach to a group that, that, that comes here every single Sunday with real burdens and real struggles, and yet their hope is in Christ. In this, in this small little room today, there, there, are, there are marriage hurts, there are marriage disappointments, there's, there's cancer, there's death of, and loss of loved ones, there's, there's health issues from cancer to kidney stones that we don't know when they're going to let loose. All of those realities, all of those realities and our hope in Christ empowers us to live in the midst of that. Before a watching world, it's not that we say, hey, come to Jesus and everything goes hunky-dory. That's not the reality. It's come to Jesus and have hope in the middle of when life doesn't go as you planned. When, when life does hurt. And, and Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and false teaching was everywhere. Eventually we'll, we'll, eventually we'll get there, maybe in 2017, but verse 3, verse 3, you see it. Paul says, to, to instruct certain men not to teach strange, do, strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculations. He says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions. Listen, Ephesus was a large, diverse city. It was religiously complex. It was a wealthy city. Money and the allurement and the attractiveness and all the false hopes that money had to offer stood in their faces every single day. We'll, we'll see that in chapter 6. The reality, Ephesus was, was no different, maybe even worse, than many of the large cities that we live in today. The, the temple of Artemis was in Ephesus, and that ushered in cultic practices that, that impacted and affected every area of their life. It involved sorcery, it involved magic, it involved false gods, the reality is this, Timothy and the furtherance of the gospel faced much opposition. Living with sole allegiance to Christ, maintaining, uh, living a life where your hope was solely in Christ was just as challenging then as it is today. Satan was just as active then seeking to blind the hearts and the minds, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, blinding the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving to the reality of who Jesus Christ was, is. Just as effect, he was just as active then as he is today. The, the church at Ephesus faced uh, enormous struggles to stay doctrinally pure, 
It was difficult to live out the Bible in the midst of their, in the midst of their culture. Those were real challenges. The, the reality is, is this. Gender issues abounded. Issues about roles in the church abounded. What qualified a person to be a leader in the church abounded. How to handle your money. The truth about what the Bible says. Materialism. Every single one of those were issues in Timothy's day and the church he was pastoring in Ephesus just like they are today. And, and out of all those things, it is interesting to me that Paul says that false teaching ultimately was the number one issue, the number one threat that the church faced. Why? Because all of those things are dealt with with the purity of doctrine. All of those issues are dealt with with the truth of the gospel. The reality is that the gospel speaks to every single one of those issues. We, we place our hope. I understand that we're, 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 we're in this world, but the reason why we place our hope oftentimes in those things is oftentimes it's because we don't fully understand the gospel. Oftentimes it's because we don't fully understand who we have in Christ. And the, the, how, how, can a, how can your sin be forgiven and then live that out was an issue then and it's an issue today. And that's the battleground. It was about the gospel. That's why Paul says that the church of, God is, of the living God is the pillar and the support of truth. What, what you hold in your hand in the Bible is precious. The truths there are precious. The gospel by which you have been saved is precious. And our job, you see it on your handout. It, he, Paul is very clear. Our job as a church, as the body of Christ, is not only to know, but is to protect the truth of the gospel. Why? Because it, it is our only hope. If it is not for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are lost in our sins. Protect that gospel. We do that. We protect that through discipleship. We protect that through evangelism. We protect that through how we live out the gospel in our lives. And the gospel itself, what Paul is saying and what the scriptures teach us is that the gospel itself, the Holy Spirit living in you, believer, gives you the power to do that. That is why in, 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 in Ephesians, I believe it's 4.30, he says, do not quench, do not quench the Spirit. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks about that. Do not grieve the Spirit. The, the, the reality is the Spirit, God has given us the Holy Spirit in us to equip us, to empower us, to enable us to live out this Christian life. We're not doing it on our own. And, and we feed that spirit, we fuel that spirit with the gospel, with the realities of this Bible. Uh, we've said it before, that's, that's why Paul talks about in Colossians 3.16, he says that the word of God may richly dwell within you. It would be no different than, than as an individual you feeding yourself on junk food versus good food. The reality is the effects of that are going to play out in your life. And as a believer, what are we filling ourselves with? The reality is, is we fill ourselves with that which we hope for. And the gospel provides us with the power to live courageously no matter the culture around us. Again, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
And the, the hope of the gospel, the hope that we have in Christ, the biblical hope is not a problem-free life. It's not a life that just pretends that problems don't exist. But, but quite the opposite. It's standing in the midst of those realities and proclaiming that no matter what, Christ is enough. No matter what, that none of these things can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel. That's why Paul says in, in Romans 8, he gives this long list. He says, in all these things, he starts in verse 35. Listen to this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? That's the issue then. It was the issue today. When these things come in our lives, the challenge is, is to not allow Satan to lie to us and say that God has forgotten us or he doesn't love us or he doesn't know about us. Those are all lies. And Paul says, well, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Will distress? Will persecution? Will famine? Will nakedness? Will peril? Will sword? Will any of those separate us from the love of Christ? Just as it is written, he says, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul answers this question. He says this, But in all these things, not only do they not separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, he says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, any, nor, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, listen, nor any other created thing. Paul says, just in case you try to slip something in that I didn't mention, no other created thing. By the way, that's everything else. None of that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of it. That's the hope of the gospel. It's not that none of these things exist. It's that none of these things can overcome God's love for us. The, the reality is, 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 I'm off my notes here, so this could get longer and longer, but Philippians 3.10 says, look at Paul. He says, whatever things were gained to me, chapter 3, verse 7, these things I have counted as loss. And Paul had a lot to gain from a physical standpoint. He says, more than that, I count all things to be, to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. That word literally is dung, so that I may gain Christ. Where was Paul's hope? It was not in status. It was not in being the Pharisee of the Pharisee. It was not being, being the highest ranking. It was nothing on this earth. It was Christ. He goes on to say, and my hope is that I may be found in him. Listen, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And then this is the statement that I love, and this is where I was building to. Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him. Not only the power of his resurrection, but the fellowship of his sufferings. That's the same thought Paul had in his mind in 2 Corinthians 4, about verse 16, when he says, But these momentary light afflictions are producing us an eternal weight of glory. If you want to get a grip on what Paul considered momentary light affliction, I dare you to go to, go to 1 Corinthians 11 and start in verse 23. 
and read the things that Paul counted as momentary light afflictions, beatings, shipwrecks. The list goes on and on and on. And Paul says, you know what? Here's the reality. Not only did those things not separate me from the love of my Savior, they brought me into greater intimacy with the love of my Savior. That's the reality. That, that's, that's what only the hope of Christ does for you. Can you th- think about that. Can you imagine being Satan? The frustration that ought to cause? Like, I'm trying to crush you and all you're doing is smiling. I'm trying to crush you and, and think you, make you feel like you're separated from the love of God. You know what God is doing through that same thing? He's, he's making you to feel more loved. If you'll let Him. If you'll walk by faith. That's why Paul says in in Romans 8.37, we overwhelmingly conquer. We don't just skid by. We crush him. We crush our enemy. We have the possibility there. You don't have to give in. You don't have to live a mediocre Christian life. There's power there through biblical hope to live victoriously in the midst of all the suffering. And we do not have, you'll see it on your handout, we do, not have, we do not hope in Christ through the gospel because of what we can get from God, but rather because we have received God as Father, and as such we've been forgiven, redeemed, justified, and one day glorified. It's not but about what we can get for God, it's what we've gotten from God. A title, adoption, justification, an inheritance. I mean, and li- listen real quickly. You see on your handout the, the bib- to what biblical hope gives us on day to day. And this is a short list. I just picked a few. As you face the struggles that you face every single day from within yourself, from without yourself, outside yourself, these are the blessings. L- listen to the blessings. Romans, Romans 5, verses, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical hope provides the believer with joy and peace. The reality is, is in our sin, we lacked peace with God. And through Jesus Christ, we have peace. That's why Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A non-believer, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to me, you stand at odds with God. You're at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God. Just hear that. You're an enemy. Only through Jesus Christ can you be brought to peace with, with God. The reason for that enmity is your sin. God is so holy that He cannot allow sin in His presence. It must be dealt with. The reality is that, that the fight for all of us is, is, is living our will versus the will of God. And you stand at, at odds with God. But the, the beauty of the gospel and the hope of the gospel is that though we're yet sinners, our sin can be washed white as snow through the blood of Jesus Christ. He crucified His own Son. He made Jesus Christ sin, though that who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That we would be eligible for adoption. That's the beauty of the gospel. But not only does, does biblical hope provide peace with God. Biblical hope provides the believer with protection. Protection. Now don't, don't think again. That means that nothing comes into our lives. 
But listen to what he says. 3318 of Psalm. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. For those who hope for his loving kindness. Again, it's going back to the character of God. If you were to look at the Old Testament, that word loving kindness there is the, is the Hebrew word kesed. It's spelled H-E-S-E-D. It means, it means covenant loyalty. It mean, it's translated in our Bibles, loving kindness. Number one way God is described in the Old Testament. Covenant loyalty. He will always be faithful. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Protection. Biblical hope provides the believer not only with peace and protection, but with, but with courage. But with courage, the, the hope that we have in Christ, the, the promises that we have in Christ. Psalm 31, verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. The, the word there means wait. It means wait. Be strong and let your heart take courage. How could you do that? The promises of God. It's the promises of God, the character of God. But not only does it provide peace and protection and, and courage, it provides endurance. Endurance. 1 Timothy 4.13, the, the letter we're in now, we may never get to these verses, so I'm just sharing them ahead of time. He says, until I come, look at what he says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Why? Because that's our spiritual food. You know what helps us to wait? He says, until I come, here's what will give you the endurance to wait. The public reading of Scripture and the exhortation and the teaching of Scripture. How do you wait well? By feeding yourself on God's promises. Not only peace and protection and courage and endurance, but purpose. Purpose. 1 Timothy 4.10 For it is for this... We labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially, especially of believers. The reality is this. Whether you believe it or not, God is your only Savior. The fact that some of you in here, you may not believe that today. Listen to me. It doesn't diminish the fact that He is our only hope. And He's your only hope. That's the reality of the Scriptures. He is the Savior of all men, especially of those who by faith have applied His death, burial, and resurrection to their lives. By faith. He's our hope. And in the meantime, we wait. And what fuels our waiting is Scripture. God has not left us as orphans. He's, he's, he's put the Holy Spirit in us, John 14, 16. He's given us His Word. He's given us His precious promises to fuel our hope while we wait. We looked at it last week, and I, and I hope some of you took it to task and, and would memorize. I, I would hope you would memorize this verse. Psalm 49, I mean Isaiah 49, verse 23. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. You can skip the first part of it. I mean, forgive me for saying that, but I'm talking about that last sentence. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. That's our hope. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then, for the, and then to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The reality is this, 
there will be shame that comes to every believer's lives possibly because of their belief in Christ. There will be shame. But Paul says, listen to me, I'll never be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's my hope. It's my hope. It's all I have. And, and he knew that for those who confidently, patiently wait for the Lord, they will not be disappointed or put to shame. It's Romans 8.18. For the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. One day God's going to settle his accounts and it will all have been worth it. And while we wait, the, the challenge for every single one of us is this. While you and I wait, we rest, but we also wrestle. We rest, but we wrestle. That's why Paul says, fight the good fight. That's why he says here, we labor and we strive. We're resting in the hope of Christ, but in the meantime, we're wrestling. Philippians 2, 13, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're learning what it means to be, to be a believer in this present age and the effect that our salvation has on our, on our lives. We fight from a position of, of victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. That, that is what David... I, I, I hear all times the, the David fighting Goliath and, and it's abused. The reality is this. David, David stood in the face of Goliath. Why? Because God promised that he would defeat the Philistines. It wasn't just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go conquer this giant. I'm, no, God, David stood in the face of a giant because God had promised that he would defeat the Philistines. He built his whole life on the hope of a promise of God that God said, I will defeat the Philistines. God took, David took God at his word and he went. and Because what did David say? David said to them, the battle belongs to the Lord. Staked his whole life. Ridiculed by his brothers. Probably ridiculed by others. Who knows? I mean, Saul's trying to put all this gear on him and he's like, forget that. No, no, no. I'm going to bank everything on the word of God. And, and all he said, God had basically just said, look, don't worry about the Philistines. I'll take care of the Philistines. And David said, all right, let's go. Let's go get them. There, there, the point is this, there is tremendous power here and certainty on, on the precious promises of, of this word. Why? Because they're built upon the character of a God who does not lie. He does not waver. He has promised us that nothing, nothing. This is Job 13. We, saw, we sang that song a few weeks ago. Though you, Job said, though you slay me, I'll trust you. Though you slay me. I'll trust you. There's power there. There was power there for David knowing that, look, this isn't up to me. The battle belongs to the Lord. There's power in our lives knowing that nothing, nothing that, nothing that this world throws at us can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's power there. There's freedom there. But biblical hope goes beyond the, the character of God and, and provides power. But the third thing I want you to see today is this. Biblical hope is sustained and fueled by fully understanding the gospel, by protecting it and living it out every day. The, the reality is this. We won't experience biblical hope if we don't live every single moment of every day, if we don't seek to discipline our, ourselves to live every single moment of every day in the hope of God. 
That's the gospel. If we don't discipline ourselves to take everything back to the gospel. That's what Paul says in, in Corinthians. He says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Last week, I want you to think about this. Last week, I asked the question, what makes something valuable? And we said three things make it valuable, something valuable. Who authors it? Who created it makes it valuable? How many of them there are makes it valuable? And what's the cost it takes to get it? That makes something valuable. We said those are the things that, the things that are most precious to us are going to go back to those three things. I... I challenge you to, in the study of 1 Timothy, I challenge each of us to realize that this, the most precious thing that you and I possess is the gospel. The most valuable thing in all of our lives that we possess is the gospel. Listen to me. Think with me for a moment. We said, who authors something makes it valuable? Well, guess what? Who authored salvation? God did. If this was a painting, or if this was a purse... If this was a shirt, you know, you know whose signature would be on it? God's. God is the author of salvation. He's the author of the gospel. He's the one that, that put his son on a cross. Acts 2.23, he says, Jesus was handed over by the predetermined plan of God. God authored salvation. We, we said something's valuable if it comes with great cost. Listen to me. The gospel cost Jesus Christ his life. In order for you and I to be saved, Jesus Christ died. Couldn't be purchased with just a monetary payment. It was his life. Greater love has no one than this, what? Then he laid down his life for his friends. It cost him everything. We, we also said that, that how many of something, what's the quantity that exists? How many of something makes it valuable? Listen to me. How many gospels exist? There's one. There's one. I dare say if you, if, you had, if you had something in your possession that there was only one of, how much care do you think you'd take of that? How, how much do you think you'd protect that? Listen, there's one way to be saved. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's people living in expectancy that one day he's going to return for us. This is John 14. I go, he says, do not, do not be troubled by what you have just heard. Jesus had just told his disciples he's leaving. He says, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He says, I go there to prepare one and I'm coming back for you. Thomas replied, Jesus, how, how, do we, how do we know where you're going? We don't know how to get there. Jesus responded in, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm the way. I'm the way. Protect it. The, the only thing you and I have, the only hope you and I have, the only real sustained hope with substance is the gospel. The gospel, as you see it on your hand, it's everything. It is everything to a believer. And I plead with us to see that. I plead with us to see the... the you know, we looked uh, Thursday in a Bible study, we looked at the, the book of Lamentations. And, and the book of Lamentations is it's not a popular book. I doubt anybody spent a whole lot of time there this week in their, in their quiet times. But when you look at Lamentations and you see... 
you begin to see the heart of God, the heart of a father that breaks at seeing his children chase after other loves. You see the heart of a God that breaks at seeing his children have to be disciplined for their sin. You see the heart of a God who, is, who is just, just hurts at having to discipline and deal with the sin of his people. Why? He's offered them an alternative. You go back to Deuteronomy 28 through really 30, 31. God said, look, if you do this, there are blessings. If you do this, there's cursings. Listen, God's covenant loyalty, his faithfulness demanded, I'll bless you just how I said I'll bless you, but I'm also going to curse you just how I said I was going to curse you. I'll punish your sin. Hebrews 12, 7 says, The Lord disciplines those whom He punishes. I mean, he, he disciplines those whom He loves. The reality goes on to say, if you're not disciplined for your sin, you know what He says? He says, you're an illegitimate child. The reality is this, I don't discipline your children. I discipline my children. And God disciplines His children out of love. And even that, the beauty is this, in Lamentations, if you were to go to... Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, in the midst of God's discipline. You know what God tells His people? My loving kindnesses never cease. Even in the midst of your great sin, even in the midst of, of my punishing you and for your sin, you know what doesn't cease? My loving kindness. You know what doesn't cease? My character. You know what doesn't cease? The hope that I've offered you. That's what we saw in Jeremiah 29.11. That is hope in the midst of being exiled into a foreign country. And God says, you know what? I'll be the same God and I'll be there when you get out. There's hope. There's power. But all of it was staked on the character of God. And the challenge for every single one of us in this room is this. It's we, tend, we tend to place our hope in things that do not last, nor do they provide what they promised to provide. And Paul, Paul in writing to Timothy, he warns about that. He, even, you know, in 2 Corinthians 11, we've read it before, but I, I think about it in, in verse 12. He says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men, listen to this, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That word disguise there, disguise there it literally means masquerading. It means, it means your outward appearance does not match your inward appearance. Outwardly, you not, you're, you're pretending. It would be like you've seen these things where they'll wear a mask, they'll hold a mask in front of their face. That's literally what, what the word here pictures, is you're pretending to be somebody that you're really not. He says, no wonder, verse 14, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Listen to this. Whose end will be according to their deeds. If you were to go to John 8, guess what it says? He says Satan is a liar and he's the father of all lies. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And yet Jesus says this, what? But I have come that you may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Don't be fooled. The challenge for every single one of us is to not put our hope in things that do not last. Don't do that. 
We, 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 we love to put our, our hope in things that we can touch and feel and, and, and all these things, and yet the promises of God sit here. Job 8, let, just, let me give you just quickly some, some, some ways that Satan allures us that we see in the Bible to, to put our hope in things that do not last. And, and Job, look at what Job says in Job 8.11. Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can rushes grow without water? While it is still green and not cut it down, yet it withers before any other plant. Listen to what he says. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the godless will perish, whose confidence, listen to this, in comparison to the promises of God. Look at what it says, verse 14. Whose confidence is fragile, and whose trust and who trusts a spider webs. He trusts in his house, but it does not stand. He holds fast to it, but it does not endure. You see the temporalness of, of worldly hope, of, the thing, of hoping in the things of this world? L listen to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse, verse 17 talks about it. He says, A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Psalm 146.5 talks about false, false hope. He says, How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. That's in contrast to what he, what he just said. And listen to what he says. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will, praise the God. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. In contrast to that, look what he says. I'm going to trust in the everlasting God. I'm going to trust in the eternal God. Proverbs 10, verse, verse 28, talks about false places where we, we place our hope. Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. 24, 14 talks about the foolishness of the world's hope. Know that wisdom is thus for your soul. If you find it, there will be a future. If your hope and your hope, sorry, and your hope will not be cut off. The, the battle is to hope only in the Lord. E even in 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, verse 17, he's, he's talking about riches and the love of money being the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. And he says, flee from these things and pursue righteousness. And we'll talk about that. But look, verse 17, he says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or to what? To fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. I think that's the challenge for all of us, if we're honest. Instruct those who are rich in this world not to place their hope on the uncertainty of their earthly riches, but rather on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so they will take hold of that which is life indeed. Do you see how hope impacted their lives? You know, you, you look at these false places of, of hope and then you, then you compare that to, to biblical hope and, and the certainty of it. You see there any handout in contrast to that, we're to hope in God. Our hope is in God, it's in His character. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that sums up the whole message. Our hope is in God. But not only that, our hope is in, our hope is in Christ. If you, if you look at Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's Christ. And, and our hope, that hope in Christ is fueled, you'll see it on your hand now, by the power of the word. Listen to, listen to Colossians 1, 5 and 6. Because of the hope laid up for you in, the, in heaven, of which you were previously heard in the word, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has, as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of of God in truth. He, he goes on in verse 10, so that I, he's praying for them. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What, what, what Paul and what I'm trying to say here, long-winded as it might be, our hope is not in wealth, or health, or anything of this world. It's not in your ability to shoot a basketball. It's not in your ability to throw a football. It's not in, it's not in your ability to throw a baseball. It's not, in, it's not in your ability to make a lot of money. It's in, it's in Christ. All that stuff is going to go away. It's in Christ. It's in the promises of God. And, and the reality is, is that... That hope doesn't mean that life will not hurt. What it does mean is that things of this world will not separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it's banked on the character of God. And the, the, the means by which we receive those is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son whom He publicly crucified as a propitiation, Romans 3 says, for our sin. That word means payment. The, the, the reality of our hope is this, that no matter what, no matter what, Christ is enough. That's our testimony. That Christ is enough. That, that the relationship that we have with God through Christ Jesus is enough. If you go to, if you go to Acts and Paul and the disciples are told, don't preach the gospel anymore and... They, or there are going to be serious consequences. And they looked at them and they said, look, do what you may. But we cannot stop preaching the gospel. It says that they beat Paul so badly, literally, that, that his back was just wide open. Almost to the point of death. And if you looked at that passage, you know what Paul did? Paul rejoiced. Paul rejoiced. And I think the reality is this. If we would truly understand the gospel, if we would truly have an understanding of this word, if God's word truly richly dwelt in us, we would understand that the reality of hope in Christ is not that circumstances won't befall us. It's that our hope in Christ transcends any of these circumstances. 
It's that hope in Christ that 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we said that, that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But with every temptation, God is faithful to provide a way, to way through it. And as I studied Lamentations, as, as we talked Thursday, there's a, there's a tremendous tendency, and I think it was in Lamentations and in, in their hearts, but it's also in ours, to just, when trouble falls us, we just want to get out of it. And oftentimes we miss the lesson. And we take shortcuts, and instead of running to God and repenting, instead of returning to God to repent, we, we simply just want out. And we miss the lesson. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a balance for all of us not to stay there too long, but not to get out too quick and miss the lesson. You stay there too long, you lose hope. You get out too quick and you miss the lesson. And God is faithful. He's faithful. And Christ is enough. That is our biblical hope. It is sourced and it is sustained in the character of God through the gospel of His Son. And I pray that we would be a people, and again, hear me, I know that there's people in the trenches just battling, and it's hard to lift their head off the pillow, and I'm reminded of Psalm 3, Thou, O Lord, are my defender and my shield. It says, The glory and the lifter of my head. Some days, some days, some days, that's the hope, is just to lift your head off the pillow. And guess what? We have a God that is so faithful, even down to that minute detail. He's faithful. 